Hello and welcome to the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast. I'm your host, Nick Galetti. On this episode, we have a special conversion story that has some wonderful elements to it, and I can't wait to share it with you. It is the story of Jennifer Roach, and the reason she came on this show was a very simple email that she sent to us here at the podcast. She said, Hi, Nick. I enjoy your podcast. I wonder if a chat between you and I could be fun for a podcast episode. I'm a new convert, baptized 10 months ago, but prior to that, I was an Anglican minister. It's a great story and includes me refusing to speak to missionaries even though I was halfway through reading the Book of Mormon and then seeing two sisters on the street and begging them to explain the Book of Mormon to me. I offer up my story because it's generally been encouraging for members and missionaries alike. Well, it's an incredible story far more dense and complex than that simple email led you to believe. This is Jennifer's first time telling this story publicly on podcast, and so you're in for a treat, because I'm sure you'll be hearing about this story more and more in the coming months. Here now is my interview with Jennifer Roach. Our guest on this special episode of the Latter-day Saint Mission Cast is Jennifer Roach, who emailed me a little bit ago and just had such an interesting and intriguing story that we had to have her on as a guest. She is joining us from Washington State via Skype. So welcome Jennifer Roach to the Latter-day Saint Mission cast. Thank you. Glad to be here. I think that there's no real way to give an adequate introduction to your story, but let's go ahead and say that as a broad brush, you are a recent convert to the church and your story is unique powerful and something that I think is is a story that needs to be told. So let's start back a little bit further in the sense with your religious journey. Where did you start out religiously in your life? Yeah, so I grew up in California uh, in the 70s and 80s, and I, for 20 years, attended a like evangelical megachurch in California, and they were broadly evangelical. So lots of singing and high energy and lots of activities for youth, not tons of depth in terms of like doctrine and theology, just lots of we're happy and love Jesus kind of people. Mm -hmm. It was, it was a good fit for me. I enjoyed it. I had a great experience with them. They loved the Bible. For the most part, it was good. At some point in your life, you, you progressed to the stage in your life where you made the decision to join the Anglican church which is not something that we hear a whole lot of happening nowadays. That's not a, yeah. an attack or anything, and we just don't hear too many people yeah. telling Anglican conversion stories. But what was yours? Why did you choose to switch from evangelical to Anglican, of all things? A very, yeah, so, a very high church. Yeah, so evangelical is, there's not a ton of depth in it. Um, or a and, lot of structure, for that matter. Correct. And structure can change on a dime, like, the, the local pastor of the church is in charge and whatever he wants goes. And if he changes, everything changes. Like, it is, it is the complete polar opposite of Anglican in a lot of ways. I went to um, divinity school, um, like a master's degree. I have a master's in divinity. and Where did you go? I went to a little school here in Seattle called the Seattle School of Theology and Psychology. Okay. It's an evangelical school. Um very small. They only do two degrees there. They do an MDiv and they do training for therapists. Interesting. All right. They tried to integrate those two. It was a great place for me. 
but through my study of, you know, in seminary and before of just like learning about theology and learning all these things, I, I came away saying, I really don't fit in the evangelical church anymore. I have too many questions that they wouldn't be okay with. I have too many other things that I want to think about and talk about that it just makes them uncomfortable. They're, they're very, they're very interested in, you know, we just love Jesus and we just want to love people. And that's works for some folks, but for me, it just, it stopped working. So what happened was around that same time, this was like 2007, eight. So Anglicans are from the Church of England. There's more Anglicans outside of England than there are in England. American Anglicans are usually called Episcopalians. Mm -hmm. But the Episcopal Church in the United States has a lot of issues going on that have made a number of individuals and entire congregations really uncomfortable. They are not real sure what they think on the divinity of Jesus anymore. They're not real sure what they think on um, the importance of scripture anymore. And so a number of entire congregations, sometimes entire dioceses, have left the Episcopals and formed their own group called the Anglican Church in North America. Alongside of that group have come kind of some disaffected evangelicals and those two groups formed, uh, used to be called the Anglican Mission in America. And all of that was forming right around the time when I was finishing divinity school. Um, and I was really interested in the high church, the theology, the ritual, all of that, just like, it, it just sings to my heart. And so I decided, yeah, this is the path I want to go. Um, went through the ordination process, which is, it's kind, it, it takes a long time. It's kind of a big deal. Planted a church here in Seattle and then started working at another church here in Seattle Prior to that, prior to even going to divinity school, I mostly I've worked at churches in my life. Okay. Doing children's ministry or youth ministry, adult ministry, all kinds of stuff. So you were an Anglican minister. Was this a, this was your profession? Yeah, correct. And it, did you always think you wanted to be a, a minister of some kind? Um, no. Although I knew I always wanted to be involved in ministry of some kind. I, of the of all the jobs I've had as an adult, the vast majority of them have been in, in churches or in ministries. So, what's the difference then in wanting to, or in becoming a minister as opposed to just being involved yeah. in ministry? Yeah. So, for example, one of the jobs that I had, I was the um, like director of children's ministries, a big church in Southern California, but it's not an ordained position. That's somebody they hire who's competent, who can run the children's program, for example really big church, hundreds and hundreds of kids. They need somebody who can stay organized, but they're not necessarily worried about, do you have the theological chops to do this? Gotcha. They're most okay. worried, can you do this as a role? And so I went from working those types of jobs into saying, I really want to go into a, a more specialized area where you have to have theological training to do it. And hence your master's degree in divinity. Correct. Okay. So how long were you a an ordained Anglican minister? Um, for about 10 years. Okay. I worked in two different churches. I, I loved it. It was a great place for me. I was very happy. I had no, absolutely no inkling at all. If you would have told me that I would be doing this, it, converting to another church, I would have completely thought you were nuts. I, I had no inkling that this was going to happen to me. I did not see it coming. Well, somehow, at some point along your story, you encounter missionaries, or at least missionaries encounter you, to the point where they, of course, are trying to share their message with you. 
How did that happen? <laughs> um, so the missionaries actually come in about midway. Um, a lot happened before I before I even met missionaries. In fact, I flat out refused to talk to the missionaries for a really long time, um, in part because of my job. And I thought I can't I can't be seen talking to the missionaries. And in part because I thought I'm not I I'm not doing that. Yeah. <laughs> what happened was I ended up in a in a lawsuit in California, and one of the main reporters who writes about me or who what it's over now, who was writing about me, um, is a member of our church. Um, and so he and I worked together for months on articles about this lawsuit. And and this this is Garth. We should probably this, give us his name. This is my friend Garth, yeah. <laughs> um, the subject matter of the lawsuit isn't as important, but it was against a church um, in California. It's actually against the church where I grew up. You can Google my name and read all about it if you want to. <laughs> this is a, a, a lawsuit involving the evangelical church. Correct. Okay. And what does he say? How is he engaging you and to the point where, first of all, that you know that he's a member of the church? Yeah. So I, the first way that I knew that really was, I thought, gosh, if I'm going to you know, work with this reporter, I want to know who he is. So I did all of the research that I could on him. And I don't remember exactly how I found that out. Um, but it became obvious, like, oh, this is this guy's affiliation. And it worried me a tiny bit at first. Uh, but then I thought, gosh, you know, I've experienced him so far as professional and we're sticking to talking about what this story is about. Okay, it'll be fine. Can I ask you why you were a little uneasy about finding out that he was a member of the church? What what influenced that thought, thought yeah. process? We're just, evangelicals are just taught that members of this church are in a cult, are brainwashed, are not, they're trying to lure you away from the truth. And that was really heavy handed in my childhood, especially. So like, I fully admit I had a, an examined prejudice against members of the church that I didn't, I didn't ever think twice about. But did you think that this guy was now like a, a Mormon's, like he's trying to impact the story, like as some kind of hit piece? No. Okay. No, no, not at all. Um, in fact, really how I experienced him was as a kind and gracious and um, completely professional. You could tell that there's something different about him than than perhaps other reporters that I had worked with. But for the most part, you know, for, for months, we really only talked about this story. Okay. The new, the new story. And he was writing several articles about it. And what happened was at some point, the church, this evangelical church in California – the pastor of it gave a sermon to address the lawsuit. And so I listened to it um, online and Garth also listened to it online. And then we had a phone conversation to talk about it. And the sermon was about Moses and it's terrible sermon. <laughs> it's, <laughs> <Okay>. terrible. <laughs> it's terrible on all kinds of levels. <laughs> all of the, my reasons to Garth about why I thought it was terrible. And it, and he says, yeah, he says, I, I think it's terrible, too, but for different reasons. He says, really? T -t -t Tell me why. And he says, well, I, you know, I have scriptures that you don't have. And okay. I, said, hey. I said, no, you don't. <laughs> he says, yeah. I, he says, yeah, I do. I says, you have got to tell me what you're talking about. I didn't know you had scriptures about Moses. Are you kidding me? What, what? I'd never heard of Pearly Great Price. 
I don't know how I got to this age as an adult in this country without knowing that, but I didn't. And I'm kind of badgering him, telling him, you've got to tell me what you're talking about. And finally, he says, Jen, I'm sitting in the middle of the newsroom. I can't talk to you about this right now. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. "Okay, That's fair. Fair. Um, So I think I probably tried to hold my horses and and be gracious. And and in my mind, like I was super gracious and patient and just like probably waited like 30 whole minutes before I started badgering him in text about (laughs) (laughs) Garth will laugh at that because I badger him on this a lot. Um, And so I texted him and said, you you know, can you please tell me like, what, what are you talking about? So he sends me a link to the church website of, Pearl of Great Price, and I started reading the Book of Moses. <laughs> really? That was your yeah. first introduction to Latter-day Saint scripture? Yes. <laughs> okay, kind of heavy. Uh, right, I had no idea what I was looking at. Uh, I mean, frankly, I still probably don't entirely know what I'm looking at. And what happened was I decided kind of right then of like, okay, this is something worthy of taking serious. And I have a lot of questions, but I really wanted... I wanted my questions to be my questions. Like I didn't want to go online and look at all of the like anti-sites and figure out what somebody else's questions were. I wanted like my questions to be able to come through. Okay. So I, I just sort of went through chapter by chapter and started reading and writing down my questions and sending them to poor Garth. I don't know. Poor Garth is probably loving this. He's got someone very interested in the church. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Um, eventually I finished Pearl of Great Price and kind of said, well, I guess I should, should read the Book of Mormon. And so started down that path and I don't know, maybe 10 chapters into First Nephi, we're having, I'm still sending him e- emails on every single chapter, all my thoughts and all my questions. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Right. Um, and at some point we had the discussion where I said, you know, kind of trying to parse out like, you say these are scriptures and I don't really know if this is scripture and, and sort of the back and forth. And he says, you know, let me just, let me just put that to rest. This is scripture and you can accept that or not. And for me, I thought, okay, like I have to decide, am I going to accept that this is scripture or that it isn't? And the, the reason for me, why I came down on the side of saying, I know that this is scripture is I've been reading scripture since I knew how to read. Right. Like, okay. I, I, I remember as a little girl, I would hide under the covers with my flashlight trying to read Deuteronomy, right? Like I was a Bible loving girl from the time I was little. My favorite game as a child, my favorite pretend game is I would play Bible translator and make up languages that I could translate the Bible into. Wow. That (laughs) is, that is special. Yeah. (laughs) Special is one way to put it. (laughs) So I know what it feels like to read scripture. And I thought, okay, is this what I feel like when I read the Bible, knowing the Bible is scripture? And and pretty quickly decided, yeah, okay, this is scripture. And kept reading and kept sending questions. And um, I got really um, frustrated isn't the right word, but sad, I think, at one point of realizing Here's this beautiful book of scripture. I'm learning all these things. I'm exploring all these ideas. And it's completely, it's going to be completely out of my reach long term. Um, why, why do you say that? Because I'm an Anglican. I'm ordained. I can't blow my life up. 
So what what about year was this? What what year are we talking it, about? So this was really almost uh, fourteen months ago. Oh wow! So that yeah. would have just to put that in perspective. We're recording this in December, two thousand nineteen. So you're talking October, September, summer, re- really so summer, summertime of twenty eighteen. Okay. And I I knew that my conversion would cause incredible troubles really for everybody who loved me at that moment. <laughs> but you were already thinking that. You were already thinking, oh my gosh, this is scripture. And your next step, it logically in your head was, I have to convert to this. This is scripture. Well, my, yeah, my next thought was, I have to do something about this. You you don't, I don't, I don't know. No, that's, I don't think- that's great. I don't, I'm not mocking it in any way. <laughs> I think that's fantastic because I've, I've been a member of my entire life. And it's not that I haven't gone through my own conversion story, but it hasn't certainly been to the same degree where you have this experience as an adult, and I would say an educated adult, where you you are steeped in religion professionally, in your personal life. This is what you've lived for a long, yeah. long time. So to have the feeling, first of all, to be open to that impression is wonderful. But on top of that, to be in a situation where you say, this is scripture, and the implications of that are so powerful that yeah. I have to, I have to do something about it. I can't just be passive with that information. And that includes abandoning this your job, your your life, yeah. everything about my, it. My congregation ripples into my family, all just just everything. I knew it was gonna be a really big deal. So at this point though, you you are again, we're talking now end of 2018. Mm-hmm. When do you actually sit down with missionaries or do you yeah so um it, it really this would still be in summer of 2018 okay um garth is you know kind of all along sort of um nicely but firmly trying to tell me you know you really should talk with the missionaries this is their full-time job um you guys would probably have a great conversation and i kept saying no 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 i'm not going to do this and then one day i'm driving to work maybe, I don't know, five miles from my house. And I see two sisters walking on the road, sisters Porter and Murdoch. And they are walking because their car has broken down, walking on a road that they probably otherwise never would have been walking on. And I see them and I see their name tags and I know exactly who they are. Now, how did you know that? Oh, yeah, just cultural knowledge, right? Okay, gotcha. Everybody knows that. Okay. Um, And so I see them and I drive right past them, and of course the spirit is telling me, turn around, turn around, turn around. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I even said out loud in my car, fine. <laughs> and so I turn around and I park my car and I, I walk up to the girls and they later told me that they thought I was coming to yell at them. Um, because <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. I was walking very determined, I suppose. <laughs> And I saw them and said, you know, look, I, I can't talk right now. I'm on my way to work, but I'm reading the Book of Mormon and I and I need some help understanding what I'm reading. And they both about fell over. Of course. <laughs> they also told me later they thought I might be pranking them, um, <laughs> which I certainly was not. It's kind of a sad state, but missionaries go through some very interesting experiences. <laughs> right? 
Um, so they gave me their card. They did not take my information. They just gave me their card and said, yeah, just, just be in touch. And, and I was, I took a selfie with them. Um, and <laughs> okay. <laughs> Interesting. The re- actually, the reason why I did that was I wanted to send it to my friend Garth to kind of prove like, even though I've been saying no this whole time, here I am. Yeah. <laughs> Talking to missionaries. Okay. And so I, I contacted them later that day and we set up an appointment for about 10 days later, but five days later I was at home. I was making dinner. We, we've lived in this house for five years. I've lived in this area for 20 years. I've never had missionaries knock on my door ever. Not ever. They're just, they just, they don't knock doors here very much. I don't think. And I was making dinner. I was making homemade pasta. So I'm covered in flour, right? Like it's a, it's a delicate process. I'm in the yeah. middle of it. And, and knock, knock, knock on the door. I'm like, oh, fine, I'll go answer it. And I answer the door, and two elders are standing there. And my in my head, I'm like, I did not tell those girls where I live. How? How did you find me? <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and so the I opened the door, and the boys are there. And I kind of said, you know, I, 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 I've been reading, or I'm halfway through the Book of Mormon, is what I said to them. And later they told me, they thought I was going to say, Oh, I, I'm halfway through it, and it's a bunch of malarkey, and you know, you you know, get on your way. Yeah. Uh, but you know, what I actually said was halfway through, and I've met the sisters, and and I'm gonna start meeting with them. Um, the sisters certainly were not from my ward; they were just I just saw them on the street, and at that time, where I lived and where they were serving were not the same mission. Oh. The boundaries, right? <laughs> the boundaries were about to be adjusted, but they weren't yet. So my missionaries from the ward that I'm in were in the Seattle mission and they were in the Everett mission. So they had a little power struggle. I don't know if that's the right word. (laughs) Okay. Jurisdiction dispute. Yeah. yeah, A little jurisdiction dispute about who was going to teach me. And I really wanted to be taught by the girls. Um, And we knew that the boundaries were going to change. So I don't know which of those factors was more important, but the sisters started teaching me. Eventually, it was the sisters and the elders, and frequently one or two people from my ward, and sometimes the senior missionary couple, and then almost always um, Garth would join us by Skype on the computer. Oh, awesome. He doesn't literally live in California. So there would be 10 of us sitting around (laughs) doing my lessons. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Pretty unconventional, but okay. (laughs) So I started doing lessons with them. I went, actually, before I started lessons, I, I there was just a, a Sunday where it was going to work out for me to go visit a ward. But I didn't, I didn't really ask anybody or say to anybody that I was going to do this. And I didn't have an understanding of wards have geographic boundaries. Right. And you're sort of assigned to one. And so I just looked online and thought, what's the building that's closest to me? And what's the time that I can go? So I went to... A ward that's not mine in a building that we don't even meet in. I thought <laughs> you will laugh at this. I thought I'm gonna I'm gonna be as inconspicuous as possible. So here's my plan. I'm gonna wear jeans. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm, gonna wear, I'm gonna wear some jeans and a, and a turtleneck and and sneak into the back and sit in the back row where no one will notice me. <laughs> Oops. Oops. How long do you even get to before the entire building knew I was there? <laughs> a really, a really, 
uh, all the you know, many of the women came in the ward came up to talk to me and a really sweet sister came and while I was talking with her it dawns on me oh people dress up for church here even in the Anglican world it, it, Anglicans in America people don't dress up for church in general hmm. and so I made a joke about how even the babies were dressed more formal than I was <laughs> <laughs> and she's she was so sweet she said she she wrote down her phone number on a little piece of paper and, and pushed it into my hand and said, if you come again, you text me and I will wear jeans too. And we'll sit together. <laughs> and I thought that was the sweetest thing. I didn't end up back in that ward because that kind of spurred me to figure out where, where, where am I actually supposed to go? So I got myself sorted into the, into the right place. But from there, I actually ended up meeting with the missionaries for nine months. Part of that was, it just was going to take some time to unravel the Anglican bit to 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 figure that out. Once I told my Anglican bosses what was going to happen, I had to go through a process um, of becoming unordained. They call it um, being defrocked. Yes. Um, so I went through that process. They were incredibly kind about it. It was it was easy for me. Nobody was trying to make me feel bad about anything. They definitely had some feelings about it. Naturally, um, naturally. Right. Um, but they made it really easy. They made it, it wasn't hard. And so that process wrapped up on January 25th of 2019, which was a Friday. And I was baptized the next day. So this is, I mean, nine months is a, is again, not standard. Most people right. that get converted and baptized and all that, it either happens much sooner or mm-hmm. over a much longer period of time, and you're just kind of right in between there. Right. But these missionaries clearly were working with you and and staying with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Over, over the course of nine months, there was there were obviously lots of transfers, and I'm trying to think. Eight. I probably worked with fifteen, well, sixteen missionaries over the course of those nine months between the sisters and the elders. Wow. So. Yeah, I didn't know transfers were a thing. So the first time that happened, I was like, what? Are you kidding me? <laughs> it is a thing. And it's there's there's reasons for it. Did you feel at any point that you were being converted to the missionaries? So I, there was definitely a difference overall between the style that the sisters had and the style that the elders had. Oh, absolutely. The sisters were... The relational aspect was just a little bit easier. And so at the places where I had questions, so during this time, the prophet came to Seattle. Um, He came to Seattle and spoke at the baseball stadium. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. I absolutely wanted to go and see that and see what it was all about. And I had tons of questions about that. And the sisters were very, very patient in letting me explore those questions. The elders had their own strengths for sure, but definitely not as much patience for the exploration of the questions. I feel that I am guilty of that at times. <laughs> it might be a guy thing. I don't know. It might, it might be. And there's strengths that come with that. Absolutely. You know, the elders were pretty rapidly trying to say like, okay, you're clearly interested in this. You're moved by the scriptures. You have an interest in being baptized. Let's set a baptism date. Um, so the first time we had that conversation, one of the elders says, why don't you think, of, you know, think about it, pray about it. You think about a date and I'm going to think about it and I'm going to think of a date and maybe the date in the middle will be the right date. The el- this was like July. And so the elder, he's a, he was actually one of my favorite elders, Elder Ward. He comes up with the date of August 15, which is like a month later. And there's no way 
that that could happen. <laughs> is that because <laughs> but, of some of the defrocking process that you yeah. want? Okay. Yeah, there, there was no way that could happen. And the date that I had thought of was June of the following year. <laughs> so it is in the middle. <laughs> so we didn't actually plan it that way, but it, it turned out to actually be in the middle. <laughs> wow. So if let's let's go back to your process. And I'm I'm curious about some of the questions that you had and mm. and how you came to some degree of resolution on them. Yeah, for the so some of the biggest questions that I had were um, trying to come to an understanding of the ordinances. What's what's going on in the temple? Like, what? Why can't I know more about it? What? So all of that kind of bit was sort of one big category. The category of what is a prophet and why do we have one and what is his power and role? Um, I had a. I came in with a lot of suspicion about that. I mean, just to be honest. Well, and that's, that's curious to me because someone with a master's degree in divinity would have studied their fair share of Bible and would have known at least historically what prophets did. So, well, for sure. So when you were saying, what, what does a prophet do? Are you speaking of what do modern day prophets do? Yeah. What do modern day prophets do and why, why do we need one? What role is he filling? How far is his reach? What are the safeguards in case something goes wrong? I was in, so when I first started attending the ward, we were still in the three-hour format. Yes, okay. And I and I was in the gospel principles class, and bless their hearts because I think <laughs> that this is really probably what came up in that class more than anything was how do I come to understand how a modern prophet works. And a lot of that was around like his visit to Seattle. And by the time that had come and gone, I, I, I was I was okay. But you know, there's a lot of damage that gets caught. My, so my experience mostly is the evangelical church, right? And people in those churches, they would they would say, "We don't believe in prophets. We don't believe in popes. We don't believe in any of that." And the pastors of the those churches and the leaders in those churches sometimes act like prophets or popes, that their word goes and that a lot of damages come because of it. And I certainly had experienced that. And so my coming to terms with what what is a prophet really was was ground up with all of that, with with some really bad leader experiences. Can we go ahead and say maybe what the lawsuit was about and how that is that related yeah. to this? Okay. Yeah. So, um, so this the, is back in the, the lawsuit that got you to meet Garth and the, yeah. everything that was going on had to do with, with sexual abuse. Yeah. It was like, well, yeah, I was sexually abused by one of the pastors from my church where I grew up. That church has produced a, a lot of sexual abusing pastors, to be honest. And we don't have to mention the name, but that that's nope. that's part of your filter. There's a perhaps a mistrust of power, and when you yeah. when, when you talk about a prophet, you are probably naturally a little skeptical of someone that has that's in a position of power like that. Absolutely, and I um, had several pretty good meltdowns about it, usually in gospel principles class. <laughs> Boy, um, those would have been good and, classes, man. Oh, my goodness. And I'll be honest, um, like I'm doing temple prep right now, and I'm on version two of those same freakouts. Like, okay, you want me to, to promise to be obedient? Are you kidding me? Do you know how much that's been used against me? Like, okay. Yeah. And, and having to work through that. 
But it all comes from the same place of like, okay, if this is scripture, I have to do something about it. And I have to do something about it. I have to accept some of these other things and I'm going to have to work through that. So I've had some proper meltdowns and my <laughs> ward, <laughs> my ward is, uh, is um, amazing. They love me far more than I have deserved. And they're, you know, we're working through it. You've got these issues of prophetic authority. That was one of them. <laughs> mm-hmm. What was, what was something else? Yeah. The, the whole like ordinances for the dead. I, I think I'm not certain, but of the probably 2,000 emails that passed between Garth and I, probably half of them reference what what are what are what is this? Why are you baptizing people for the like how all of that worked? Why that was important? That was really that's a really hard thing to wrap your mind around when you come from such an anti tradition. Like I grew up in California, not not very far from where the Oakland Temple is. Oakland Temple's beautiful, and you can see it from all over the Bay Area. But when I was a kid, a, a kid and a teenager, we were taught, don't look at it. You can see don't it from everywhere. It. It's all lit up. Don't even look at it, because evil things happen there. So that, like, that's the background I, I came from of, like, what, what exactly? Like, like, I need to know what's happening here. And so I've had to do that dance a lot. Yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of scars there. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you did get baptized. I did. And I, I assume that it was a wonderful experience. You've, it was. You probably have some wonderful stories to share about the day of your baptism and, and all that. What maybe it was a takeaway from your baptismal experience? Yeah. Um. So there's so much that one of, the, I think one of the really like overall big things for me was like, there was nearly a hundred people at my baptism. That's awesome. My ward is extraordinary. And those people, I'm not easy, right? (laughs) (laughs) I'm a handful and I come with a lot of baggage and I have a lot of questions and I need to talk things. uh, I need to talk about things a lot. Right. And I live in a part of the country or a part of a part of Seattle where just about everybody works in technology. And so they're very black and white. And I want to, you know, talk the issues to death. And they have been so incredibly patient with me. And Garth too. Garth deserves an award for what I have put him through, poor guy. <laughs> just that like, okay, here's here's all of these people who are like on board with my journey and supporting me in my journey. Like that's what I really honestly remember most from that day. I also, I had an experience like during the baptism itself. Um, the the brother who baptized me, his his family are dear friends now. He told me before, he said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hold you under the water for a second. Like, I want you to feel it. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So, so I said, like, okay. And, and that's, and that's what we did. And I, and I felt the, um, the seriousness of it and the weight of it. And at the same time, the, the freedom and the healing of it, like it was, it was an emotional little moment for me. I don't know. I feel, I don't have great words because I feel really emotional talking about it. It was, um, I have no regrets. It has complicated my life more than anything has complicated my life. I mean, like, this year since then, well, it hasn't even been a year yet. I have lost a lot. And a lot of relationships are incredibly complicated because of this. And I have no regrets at all. 
Yeah, that's, I mean, your livelihood, family relationships, these mm-hmm. things do get taxed and they they often lead to many people questioning whether or not they did make the right choice. But it's pretty yeah. amazing that you, even in spite of all that for the last 10, 11 months, you still don't have any regrets. I imagine it's because you thought about it a lot. <laughs> I did think about it a lot. I actually, you know, I I feel like for a while I kept thinking, gosh, my story is sort of the doesn't follow the normal pattern. It took me longer. I had all these other complicating factors, but really, I don't know if I think that anymore. I think I was kind of the textbook case. I thought through the questions I needed to think through. I came to my decision. I got baptized. I got supported by my ward and, and we're off to the races and we're doing our things. It's complicated for me because I'm complicated, but (laughs) Right. But there's lots of there's a lot of converts in my ward. I'm since before me and since me, all kinds of people get baptized and their stories are different versions of mine. But I I kind of am the I don't know. I think I'm the textbook case in a lot of ways. I wish you were the textbook case. (laughs) (laughs) You might be closer to the textbook case of a good, solid convert, but I don't know too many that came from such a deeply inquisitive theological background. Yeah, my, I know that my brain just spins too much. That's what that is. (laughs) (laughs) I want to reflect back on something that you mentioned when you were asking questions and you said that half of your emails to Garth (laughs) were about vicarious work in, in the temples, particularly baptisms. And I think that's a relevant thing because you have set a very interesting goal for yourself that seems to be uh, (laughs) very much related to that. So what was the goal and how are you doing on that? Yeah, I decided um, pretty early on that I wanted to do a thousand baptisms this calendar year. So I had roughly from February 1 until the end of December, and right now it's December 17. I thought, I, I want to do a thousand. And that seemed like an audacious goal. And it seemed... It kind of is. <laughs> it kind of is. Um, but I also felt like I this is all I can do in, in the temple, right? Every other adult who is my age is able to shoulder some of the weight of the work that needs to be done. And, and I'm not. And so, okay, I'm going to, in my mind, kind of make up for that or kind of pull my own weight by saying, okay, I'm going to try to do a thousand. I actually just finished doing the thousand this last Saturday. So three days ago, I, it's been the single most positive influence in my life in this last year. I what I've been saying to people is I needed every single one of those thousand. I probably needed 4,000, but I couldn't do it. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, I needed to have that experience in part because of sort of the depth of questions that I had about it. And in part, because I needed the, experience and the support and the the feelings of being able to be there to be involved in the work to shoulder some of the weight to to just get used to being in the temple even in that limited way it, at first especially because it was february it was me and the 11 year olds right yeah, sure <laughs> and so sitting sitting down in the basement and just over and over and over and over again. But I got to know a bunch of the temple workers, um, had some extraordinary conversations, really had some extraordinary experiences, wrote, I don't know how many pages about it in my, in my own journal, just trying to find what it was meaning to me. 
And I'm so glad that I did it. I would recommend it to anyone in your first year. If you like maybe a thousand is too much. I live pretty close. <laughs> which temple, are, which temple are you close to? It, the Seattle temple. Okay. So uh, with that, if, if traffic's not an issue, I can get there in about 20 minutes when traffic's bad, it's about an hour, but it, I, I would recommend to anyone, if you only have a limited recommend, like go and make the most of it. Well, I guess one of the things that I wanted to be able to do is to take have some takeaways that if mm-hmm. a missionary is in the field and they're listening to this or preparing to go, mm-hmm. what were some of the things that they did right? What were some of the things yeah. that they were that you, you could say, because of this, I continued, I stuck with it? Yeah, all of them, the elders and the sisters, all 16 of them that I had were willing to respect my boundaries of I need to go slow. I need to be able to have some time to think, to talk to my family, to talk with my church. Like that to me, if if they would have pushed too hard on that, that would have been really, that would have been really difficult for me. Okay. So that was one was I felt listened to and respected through throughout the whole thing. I feel like that was really important. The other thing that they did that ended up being so helpful is right from the get go, they were trying to connect me to other women from my ward. Okay. And so I ended up at every lesson, they were bringing someone different. And I didn't even, you know, I think often like the missionaries are teaching someone and they sit with them in church. And I never sat with the missionaries because there, there were seven other families fighting to sit with me because they had already you know, tried to integrate me into the ward long before I was baptized. And I feel like that really helped. And so like by the time my baptism came, I had all kinds of sisters and brothers, but, but mostly the sisters from the church who knew me and knew my story. And it wasn't hard to move from pre-baptized to baptized because I already knew everybody. Yeah. Okay. That's great. Those are probably... Those are probably my two two biggest takeaways for missionaries. I also, if kind of for the the member missionary position, I think it's hard for people in their workplaces, especially, to be open to talking about the gospel with folks who are interested. It's weird, and I, I don't I don't know. I feel like sometimes people are hesitant to do that. They want to keep that a uh, off work thing. But if Garth hadn't been willing to do that with me, I would not be here. Absolutely would not. And I kind of badgered him into it in some ways. Well, sure. <laughs> but he also could have been like, look, there's ethics to my profession and I can't have a personal conversation with you. And, and I would have been like, oh, okay, that makes sense. But he risked doing that to, to have these conversations with me. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't be here if that weren't true. I also, I, I know there's a lot of hand-wringing and worrying about stuff that people read online I couldn't have joined this church 10 years ago. It wouldn't have worked for me because there there was less availability of information. Okay. Maybe the church wasn't quite ready to be open about some of its history or whatever, right? Like, But now all that stuff is online. You can go read the gospel topic essays. You can go do all this stuff. And that works for somebody like me to be able to say, like, here it is. Read whatever, read whatever you want to read. To be able to talk about, like, okay, I've kind of worked through my questions and I did go look at some of the the anti-stuff. I read the CES letter. I read all kinds of stuff and thought, eh, you know, this this isn't, none of this is persuasive to me enough to move me off track from what I know I need to do. And so I'd say, don't, don't be afraid when people are 
asking questions that are hard, asking questions about history or doctrine that are hard. It's, I don't know, sharing information is better than not. Okay. No, that's great. That's wonderful. Is there any message that you want to send to the missionaries that taught you? Oh, I am so absolutely grateful for the amazing faithfulness and work they have done in my life. All my sisters are home um, and I'm in contact with them still. Um, One of them is getting married soon. She was home for about five minutes and then got engaged. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Two of my elders are still out. My endowment is mm, like six weeks away. And one of my elders who taught me goes home the week after. So he'll get to come to my endowment, which is really fun. That's very cool. Um, The rest of them are home and, I actually have gotten to talk with several of their families. Like I emailed some of their moms because <laughs> I'm a mom of a 18 year old just to say like, Hey, thanks for raising this kid and sending them out. And I really appreciate their, their faithfulness and their hard work. And I love the missionaries so much. They're great. Awesome. I can't believe I refused to meet with them for so long. <laughs> well, but it, it all worked out and, and it happens. So that's yep. fantastic. Well, thank you again for coming on and telling us your story. And for those that kind of want to follow your story a little further, you do have a website. I do. I, it's really just a place to put some writing that I've done about my conversion experience, and there'll be more added. It's myconvertlife.com. That's a great website. I don't know how you got that domain. That's right? wonderful. Right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So we will put a link to that in the show notes of this episode, and we hope that, that people are inspired by your story because it is inspiring. It's it's wonderful, not just because of your past, but because it, it's it's wonderful to hear stories of people who thought deeply and, and were mm-hmm. wanting to be deeply connected to the doctrines of the church, and that in spite of, or whatever you want to say with the, the speckled history or some of the things that you may have read online— that the Spirit still witnessed to you the truth, and you followed yeah. it. I think that's yeah. admirable, and, and I, I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thank you. It was great to be here. There you have it. There is the story of Jennifer Roach. What a great conversion story, and whether or not you consider her a textbook case or not, it's an inspiring case, and one that I think is informative and inspiring. Please check out her story and her blog, myconvertlife.com there's some really great interesting articles she has a great humor about her experience as a convert but let it teach you let it teach you what converts go through and some of the questions that they have and might experience let that inform your work as a missionary stay tuned to this podcast for more from our basic doctrine series and thanks again for listening to the latter-day saint mission cast 